Hello, everyone. I'm just recording this disclaimer, not because of any technical difficulties this time, but kind of as a warning that this um, episode, which is the heaviest that we've ever done, um, might not be appropriate for everyone. We touch on the topic of suicide and the paranormal and spiritual possible ramifications and um, things like that. Uh, Patty and I also um, talk about our truths in dealing with um, depression and that whole subject. So um, this, if if you have a loved one um, or a friend that had taken their own life, this episode might not be the best one for you to listen to. Um, and if you are struggling with any sort of mental illness or depression or anything like that, and you feel, you know, like you're kind of alone, um, just know that you're not. And I would also recommend that you do listen to this episode um, so you can hear what Patty and I also have to say about it. So um, I would say enjoy this episode, but it's it's been a hard one for me to get through um, in editing and everything. So um, it's, it's still worth a listen, but it is a very, very heavy subject matter episode. Hello and welcome to the Paranormalist Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kenny Dodson, and I'm here, also as always, with the Paranormalist, Patty Wilson. Patty, how are you doing? I'm doing just fine. How are you doing tonight? Pretty good. This episode is going to be story time. <laughs> Kenny wanted to hear ghost stories, okay? Last time, well, okay, so, so last time we had story time, I went, tonight is story time, but... Now this is going to be story time. We're definitely going to delve into some darker, more scary things than we did last time. Um, working our way to the positive. As always. Getting back to peace, light, and harmony. We started with peace, light, and harmony in the last one and went to darkness. So now we're going to just reverse it. We're going to flip the script. Um, but yeah, let's... Uh, since I don't have that many, because I kind of used up all my personal ones... <laughs> <laughs> on the last one uh how about you go first and then i'll i'll trickle in okay well something that's been um brought up to me again recently is the concept of suicide and um in most faiths suicide um is considered a mortal sin and it's a mortal sin because it's a taking of your own life and you can't repent from it because you're dead and so um it's an automatic one-way ticket to hell according to most judeo-christian faith um and i don't know that that that's the case because a person has to be in a pretty bad place to commit suicide and i can't believe that god wouldn't have mercy and kindness and love toward a child who's hurting so much but is that I, ever mentioned in the bible no it's not it's just okay it's i was gonna say a, it, it is dogma right yeah it's okay. dogma it is it is the prevailing wisdom of most judeo-christian faiths but what they I, consider it murdering yourself exactly but murder means other people so Anyway, <laughs> definitely <laughs> the but definition anyhow. is getting skewed. But anyway, but I have had um, multiple experiences with people who have passed away by their own hand and they're never pleasant. And it's 
it's in a large part, I suspect, because they were in so much trauma prior to their death. But there are some stories that really cause you to pause. And I would like to share a couple of those tonight. Um, the first one actually came to me from a friend of mine. His name is Larry. And he is um, an older gentleman who was a, he was a flower child in the 60s. And as he says, if you would remember the 60s, you, you weren't there. If you were, can remember going to Woodstock, no, you didn't. <laughs> you weren't there. Because he actually went, he's actually going to Woodstock now for the anniversary and talking about it. He's mm-hmm. one of the few that's left that apparently has a memory of Woodstock. But anyhow, um, this was his story of why he no longer did LSD. He, when he was in college, he said it was really as common as somebody offering you a cup of coffee in most campuses. And um, he went to a friend's house. He just moved into this apartment. And um, they were tripping together with on LSD. And on this particular evening, he took this hit of LSD. He um, was laying down on the couch. And it had always been a very pleasant experience in the past. And this particular time, it was horrendous. He kept seeing a a boy who looked a little older than his friend, very much like his friend, but older. And this boy was being engulfed, circled by this black gray mass that had eyes and almost a face you could almost make out and it had these long tendrils that were wrapping around the boy and the boy was thrashing and screaming for help and trying to fight off these tendrils and as fast as he would shinny out from underneath one of them another tendril would wrap around and just engulf him and he was screaming for help and it was terrifying so when he came up out of this LSD trip, he was like, man, that was the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. I'm never going to do this again. So his buddy that um, he eventually offered him another a hit of LSD that night. And he said, no, dude, I'm done. I'm never doing it again. Just it's not happening. And the guy was like, why? You, you know, because he was always good for, you know, doing drugs with his buddies. And he said, not after what just happened to me. And he begins to tell his friend what he saw in this LSD trip. And the boy gets ashen white and he jumps up and he says, just a minute. And he goes running into the bedroom and comes out with this picture. And it looks like a family picture and it must be this boy's family because that's the boy standing in the picture, one of the boys. And there beside this boy is another boy older who looks just like the rest of the family. So it's his brother. And he says, does the boy you saw, was he in the picture? And Larry's just staring at, he's like, oh my God, he's your brother. And he said, you saw my brother? And he's like, yes, I saw your brother. And the boy starts to cry. And he says, man, you got to, you have no clue what you just said. And what had happened is that the family had leased this apartment for the older brother originally. And the boy had only been there a couple weeks and committed suicide. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't get out from the lease. So in order to run the lease out, the younger brother decided to move in and he had no clue what was going on. But in his altered state, which we've touched on before, right? Um, because the drugs did alter his state of consciousness, Larry was able to witness this struggle. And now, does that mean the boy's going to hell? I have no clue. But what I can tell you is the boy apparently had not crossed over and something dark and negative had impacted him and was attempting 
to engulf him. And if that were the only story of that I had ever heard, I would think anomaly, mm-hmm. or maybe it was just a, the way he interpreted it. But it is not the only story of that I have ever heard. Um, about t- eight or 10 years ago, I was speaking in, I believe it was Winburn, no, it was Lily, excuse me, Lily, Pennsylvania, which is in Cambria County at a speaking engagement. And um, it was in October. And this young man came up and he was sitting in the audience, very nice young man, very clean cut young man, and um, looked to be about 18, 19 years old. And after the event was done, there's always um, time for book signing and people chat with me and stuff like that. And the boy waited very patiently until most of the crowd had dispersed with their books and I had spoken to several people. And then he came over and he said his name. And he said, I have to tell you this because I'm going to, um, I believe it was Iraq. I'm leaving tomorrow. And if I don't come back, I want someone to know this. Which immediately, of course, brings you up short. And you're like, oh my gosh, this boy's going to a place where he could die. And he's afraid he's going to die. Mm-hmm. But this is his story. Um, what he told me was that a few months prior to this night, he and his two best friends from high school were in Washington, D.C., where he was then living because he was stationed in Washington, D.C. And his two buddies came down to spend the weekend. And this was really planned mostly because one of his friends, of the two friends, was struggling with depression and anxiety. He was gay. He had um, finally come forward and explained it to his parents, who did not take it well. So um, the boy was really feeling rejected and lonely and like his whole life was over because his family just didn't want to deal with this issue so he had invited the boys down for the weekend and thought that you know maybe this would distract him and remind him that there's good things and this too shall pass so they had gone out and spent the entire day um sightseeing and doing the washington Monument, you know all the stuff that you do whenever you go to washington dc and had gone out to dinner and had come back and they were goofing off watching movies, playing video games and eating pizza. And um, the the boy who had uh, come out to his family got up and went to the bed to the bathroom and he didn't come back. And you had to go through the boy's bedroom to go to the bathroom. And he just didn't come back and he didn't come back and he didn't come back. So after about 20, 25 minutes, this young man who was talking to me said, I made a joke. And I said, man, he probably fell in. And he went back to see what was going on. And the boy had hung himself. Um, in his bedroom, he had taken the sash from this young man's night robe and had hung himself and he was not quite dead. So he grabbed him and he's holding him up and screaming for help to try to get help. They get him down. They call 911. He's rushed to the hospital. They follow. And, um, this whole thing ensues. And he said, I was so mad at him. Like, first of all, why the hell did you do this? You know, why did you do this? And then why would you do this in my house? And, you know, why would you make us have to go through this? Because this is so horrendous. He went to the bathroom while he's waiting for them to come out and tell him what happened with his friend. And he said, it was weird because all evening he'd heard the loudspeakers going and, um, 
they didn't have, you know how old loudspeaker systems would always have that sound and then like it would click on and you would hear the person talking. There was a whine and all this. The loudspeakers at the hospital did not do that. They were new and modern and they just came on, said what they were saying and went away. So he's in the bathroom and he's mad and he's yelling and literally pounding the wall. You know, why did you do this? Why did you do this? And he said, all of a sudden the speakers just went made that noise, that noise, and then started to whine and hum. And he said, I heard him say um, something along the lines of, he said, it was, it was so clear. I had to, man, I had to help me. And that was it. Help me. And that was it. And he said, it was my friend's voice. I know it was. But he was still alive? But he thought he was still alive. Okay. He wasn't sure. He was waiting to find out what had happened. Mm-hmm. They hadn't come back out. Well, he went back out and a couple minutes later, they finally came out and they said he was dead. He, he had died. So he had probably died at approximately the time the speaker system did whatever it did. Well, of course, the next couple of days are this horrible whirlwind. First, they've got to tell his family. And then they go back for the funeral to the Lily area. And um, after the funeral... As you can well imagine, both he and his friend who had been there that night of the, of the boy hung himself, um, they were struggling immensely with not just the grief, but all the other things that go along with all of this, the trauma and what have you. So he's um, he goes downstairs to the basement of his mom's house and he's sitting there by himself. It's um, got a rec room and all this. And he's sitting in, the, in this rec room and across the hall is a bedroom, a spare bedroom. Upstairs is his friend um, talking to uh, family and friends up there about what all he's experiencing and what have you. And so this young man, the young man from the military goes downstairs to be alone. And he said, I'm sitting down there and I'm just like, why, why would you do this? Why? And I look across the hallway and I see my friend standing there, but he's not just standing. There's this black mass all around him and he said he's like he's fighting it he's pulling at it and he's trying to get away from it and when he makes on eye contact with this young man from the military he starts crying and he's like help me you've got to help me please don't let it take me and he said it it just terrified him and he and he said "I, I just stood there frozen I didn't know what you could do and then this whole thing faded away so he said, I went upstairs later, I, I just bolted up the steps and I didn't say anything to anybody. And I, I I didn't say anything for hours and hours. And he said, after everybody kind of quieted down, I went out to the kitchen and talked to my older sister and her husband. And the look on their face was really shocked when he told them what he thought he had seen. And, it, and they said, just a minute. And they went in and got the buddy that had been with them that night of the boy's suicide. And they sat the boys down in the same at the table in the kitchen, and, they, and the sister said, "You both have had the same experience." And we're like, "Yeah, we know." She's like, "No, not just a hanging, because what had been happening upstairs was that the young man was telling the family what he had witnessed, which was the same thing. The young man had appeared to him with that big black mass rolling all around him, pulling on him, and the boy had been crying and asking for help. And at the same time, down in the basement." The other boy had had the same experience. So, um, and I've heard other stories since then as well of that kind of thing. So is it something that negative and nasty that that gets you to that point where you can um, consider suicide as the, as the goal, as the way to get out? And if it is, then you need to recognize what it is and that this too shall pass. Because most of the time when somebody commits suicide, it's over something that is solvable. 
yeah. in the long run. You know, people are bullying me. Well, that can be fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm overweight. You can fix that. I don't have a girlfriend or a boyfriend or I'm, I, I'm miserable because I can't do the thing I want in life. Or if there's something you can't fix, you can change your state to make you accept it. Exactly. And so, still be able to be happy. So all that negative stuff that goes around it. And that's um, that's important to know, I think, because um, we all have those moments. We have them. I know we do. And um, I know that for a fact because when I was 17, I tried to commit suicide. You did? I did. You never told me this. I didn't. I've never told a soul till today. Oh, geez. I was uh, 17 years old. I was absolutely miserable, very lonely, uh, very is, isolated. Was this when you were hating God at yeah. this point? Okay. Yeah. And I felt like though I was never going to get to be the person I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And um, I ate a bunch of pills when my mom went to church. It was a Sunday evening. And my mom was one of those people that church started at 730. She had to be there at 6. You know? So I knew I had lots of time and I took the pills and um, absolutely shocked to death. But she said she was sitting in church and all of a sudden she just knew she had to go home. Why? She didn't know, but she knew I did something bad and she had to go home. Mm -hmm. And she came back through the door about 20 minutes after she left and she said, what have you done? And just not, you know, did you do something, but just what have you done? And I started to cry and I told her. And they took me to the hospital and they pumped my stomach. And um, I lived through it. They, they never put me in counseling or anything like that. Nothing like that. Just that, that. And then they sent me home. I have to tell you that when I look back at it today, because I'm, now I'm getting to be an old lady. I'm, I'm like 54 years old. You know? I realize that had I taken that life then, the potential to do all the good that it would happen in my lifetime, my children's lifetime, and my children's children's lifetime would have been wiped out Yeah. in one fell swoop. And on and on, down generations. And so you could see why something evil, nasty, negative would court suicide as a solution because it takes away the potential of these vital and important people and maybe i wouldn't have had the empathy i have maybe i wouldn't have the understanding i have today mm-hmm. but on the other hand um you know i look back now and think I, I wouldn't have helped all the people i got to help sure absolutely i i think i don't i used to think it was such a selfish act like growing up mm-hmm. you know and and I always, I mean, I grew up Catholic, so, mm-hmm. you know, what they say about suicide. And um, I was just like, oh, that's so, don't they think about their family? Don't they do this? Right. Don't they do that? Like, um, that that's so selfish. And then I kind of hit a spot where I finally understood what that was. Like, and this wasn't even that long ago, I guess, since you're <laughs> revealing things, I, I can reveal things as well. Um, it got to a point where now I never thought about killing myself. I will say that. Um, well, before I continue, what, what made you get to that point? Did you, did you like with you having, you know, abilities and stuff, did, was there any sort of, I don't know, inkling towards that thing with tendrils or, 
you know, was, was there anything saying no, I do it or was, I no, mean. It's a constant whisper that was in my ear to solve all my problems because I was different and my mother couldn't cope with the fact that I was different and I love her dearly and she did the very best she could and, and I'm not blaming my mother in any way, okay? Mm-hmm. But like she was constantly telling me this was bad, being who I was was bad, that um, I would have to go to church and get prayed over and they would all pray for me. And you just always felt But she negative. had the ability too. But she hid it all her life. No, I know, but I mean, you were her. So it's like her telling herself... But that's You're a that's terrible self, person. That's self-loathing. But I was going at it in a different way. Like if I had become a missionary, that would have been cool. Yeah. Because that was acceptable. But because I wasn't going down that particular path, um, and I didn't feel led in that direction, she saw the ghosts and the paranormal and the hauntings and all that as just all this horrible stuff, and she tried to fight against it to keep me safe. Okay? Mm-hmm. And um, despite the fact that there were times when she would get words from, um, like she had a minister who was a friend and a minister's wife who was a friend, and they both told her to ease up on me because I was preparing for something that they had God told them that I was preparing for something that would happen down the path and that they, she just needed to let me alone because this was my what I experiences I needed to have, mm-hmm. which sounds very self-serving today. I realize that, but that was the... The message back then okay um but even at that it was just i felt different i was alone i was lonely um i had no community of people to talk with so i was isolated in so many ways and i didn't think i was ever going to get to be a writer and i didn't think i was ever going to get to be loved and, and so if there's a point with people who whenever you feel like like you don't think about other people you think oh they'll be fine because they really don't care that much anyway so that it's not selfish like they don't see that it's selfish it is selfish you're right but it's they don't see it selfish in that moment they just want to get the pain to stop yeah but in a way the the act of saying it's selfish is also selfish it's it's didn't they think about me how i would feel you know and it is true. and and uh, that is making it about themselves. They're making about this this act about themselves. When when you're in that headspace, you just only think about the comfort. You See, just I never about I, getting the pain away. Yeah. I, I never got to the point where I was gonna do anything, but um, I was I was in a a place where, and, and here's where it got when I knew that there was an issue. I know somebody that died young. Mm-hmm. He was only a year older than you. And my first thought wasn't, oh, poor his family, you know, I, uh, oh, he's gone. I'm, I'm sad about that, that he's gone. My reaction was lucky him. That's what I thought. Oh, sad. Yeah. And, and um, because everything just looked like you know what? Not existing. I didn't want to die. I wanted to not exist. I get that. Yeah. I wanted to just take a nap for like three months. <laughs> you know, like, like I, I laugh when I get nervous. If nobody noticed that on this podcast so far, when I get nervous about things, I chuckle. Uh, please don't take offense to it. That's just how my brain reacts. But um, I, I kind of just went like, you know, it wouldn't be so bad to be dead. Yeah. But then I started thinking about my wife and my kids and how they, I'd be like, well, 
my wife is the, I'm the stay at home dad. My wife is the breadwinner. She'd be fine without me. Like, like, uh, they don't need me, you know, um, she could get daycare on her own. It's whatever, you know? Um, so I only put myself in that, that mindset that, okay, if, if I went away, everybody would be fine. Now I never wanted to do it, but I wasn't opposed to it. Right. And that made me realize like, whoa, that my life is turning toward a negative spot because I had never been depressed ever Mm -hmm. until this part. I've had a, I've had really bad anxiety for a good, I don't know, eight years or so and panic Mm -hmm. and other stuff like that, but never depression. And once I got a taste of what depression was, like I knew that there were things that I had to do to, to get away from that. Cause that, that saying, wow, lucky him scared me. I'm sure it did. You know? And, and, uh, but I, then I finally started realizing, you know, yes, it would be for, for me to do it of myself, it would be selfish of me to do it. But for them, you know, I wouldn't have wanted them to take it in a selfish way because, and that's not what any of these people that actually do it want. They, they just want it to go away. They want the pain to end, whatever their pain is. But I wanted to touch on, and I don't know why. And for anybody who doesn't know this, we do not script this stuff. This is just, we started out with, Hey, you want to tell some stories? I said, yeah. And these are the stories that popped in my head. So I know somewhere out there, somebody needs this story. So I'm just throwing it out there because somebody needs this information right now. So if anyone's going through that, we get you. We do. Yeah. Reach out to get help. Um, and know that that is not your answer because it isn't going to bring you peace. It's going to bring you to the place where the black massy thing is, at least judging from the stories I have heard and from what I have found. Whatever that means. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know what that means. I just know that that there is something out there that seems to engulf these people. And you see a lot of that. I hear those stories from time to time. And I don't know why it was necessary, but for whatever it's worth to whoever you are, it's there for you. And if you need it, take it, reach out to somebody. And if you need to reach out to us, we will try to help you find the right people. Um, and that is probably not where we usually go, but this is part of the world. No, no. I mean, my thing is, is don't give up because giving up is like, if I were to quit some of the things that I wanted to do after trying so hard for a long time to do them, like, I would never be able to forgive myself for one and two that it wouldn't have led to the opportunities that have come after. Right. Like, like you were saying, and there's always <laughs> that, that whole silver linings playbook movie. There's always a silver lining, you know, um, I can think of some of the worst experiences of my life, like epilepsy, like we talked right. about the other episode and realize how beneficial to my life it was, right. you know? So if you can make it through something, then do it and and seek out other other things like the way i got it was um i went back on prozac i i went to my neurologist and said hey um i'm actually feeling depression i've never felt that before can i go back on something because i purposefully got off of something uh, off of that before um and and when i got back on the prozac then things evened out mm-hmm. a little more and then i started on the cbd Mm -hmm. Um, and then that, that's really taken the anxiety and any, when I get stressed, I, I now like I'm able to, I see and feel the stress happening, but it doesn't, 
bother my my stomach is what I have an issue with. So um, if if I start freaking out, then I just feel like, you know, uh, I'm going to be sick in many different ways. (laughs) But uh, but that's that's kind of how my body reacts to stress and anxiety. And now I don't have that physiological response. I just have the psychological and I go, okay, I see you stressor. Now, now what are we going to do about you? Right. As opposed to, well, I might as well just die. Right. You know, and, um, and that's just the sad reality. And, and, you know, I, there, there are things I won't reveal (laughs) on here to be honest, but, um, I, I was in a place that, that scared me for sure. Yeah. And And I'm just glad I never tried to take the next step. Yeah. For me, it was, um, I learned over the course of time. First of all, I learned to embrace the positive. And then I learned that I had a purpose mm-hmm. and that I wasn't broken and I wasn't bad. It wasn't what I had wasn't wrong. I actually came to a moment where I realized that God gave me this some for some reason. And then I had to figure out why God gave this to me. And so I kept it very quiet for a very long time. Um, and I just wrote and tried my best to be quiet about it. But then, um, and I will always, I've told you before, and I'll credit him again, Mark and Carol kind of forced me to come out of my closet and um, into the light. And it just opened up so many panoramas for me on um, speaking on this topic and um, helping people. And yes, the group existed, but it didn't exist in the incarnation it's in now where we are doing so much good work. And there was a day when I just said to everybody, I'm tired of hunting ghosts. Mm -hmm. You know, that's boring. I already know they're there. What good is that? We need to figure out a purpose for what we do. And that's when the the idea was born. Cause it was really interesting because everybody else was in the same spot and they didn't want to tell me because they didn't want to hurt my feelings. Mm-hmm. So they were all just going out there, going through the motions. And when I started to talk about there being a purpose and a higher calling and that we need to help people, it was like a light opened up above us and we were like, oh, that's what it's all about. And here we sit with the honor and the privilege of being allowed to do this. Right. Yeah, I agree. So there's there's always going to be something for you. You just have to find it. You have to wait to get through and, the dark and place. I don't want to sound... Um, it, because people are out there that probably care about you. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean anything to, to somebody if they don't care about themselves. Exactly. And, and it sounds so selfish. But when I realize like... I have to be a little more selfish and try to actually think of myself a little bit more to, because if I can't be happy, I'm going to drag everybody else down. They won't be happy either. Right. You know, nobody liked seeing me in that spot. My, my mom, you know, I told, I told her things too. my wife, like everybody knew, knew when I walked in the room that I wasn't happy. Right. You know, and I just had to get to that spot and it took a lot of hard work took over a year to really dig out and figure out what was going on. But, um, I, I just, something was kept pushing me to go forward, even though there seemed to be something that was like, you know, ah, death is better. Death is better. You know, um, it, or at least it wouldn't be so bad, you know? Um, so just let go and whatever happens happens, you know? Um, it also gave me an experience where I'm kind of like, if I die, I die, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I'm going to try to live as best as I can. Uh, so, I mean, it, 
that's one of the beneficial things that came out of it is that I kind of did let go of the earthly stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And and I I kind of went, okay, I've accepted I've accepted death. It, it was in a bad spot, but I've accepted death. And um like like I told you before, I wasn't afraid of death, but I never really I didn't accept it either. I didn't I didn't say like okay, if, if it happens, it happens, you know? Um, and now I'm kind of in that space and it's, it's unbelievable how freeing it is. Oh, it is. It's, it's like, um, I know that years ago I had a fire in our home and we lost a bunch of stuff and all of a sudden I'm not a materialist. Like we have a roof over our head. We have beds to sleep in. I'm good. And, um, I don't need to collect stuff because that stuff means nothing. I hate stuff. You don't take stuff with you. You don't, God doesn't look at you and say, oh, you had a lot more stuff than the last one. We'll keep you. You know, it has nothing to do with your stuff or your money or your um, your titles or any of that. And um, so figure out what's important to you and strive for that. Even if you do things that you hate, if you have a job you hate, if you, if you, you know, whatever the case may be, and it pulls you down, figure out what it is that you would rather be doing and at least try. Right. You, you know? may still have to do the job you hate for a while because mm-hmm. you got to make a living, but work toward it. I mean, it's the same with the writing. It's the same with your, your work with the videography and everything. You you don't just wake up one day and somebody hands you a, a gold map and says, this is the way to your treasure. It is a lifetime's journey. And it's really not about getting the treasure. It's about the journey to the treasure. And that's what life is. It's our journey to the treasure. Yeah, totally. So, you know, if you're in a bad spot, back up, take another look, figure out a different route. And that's really the truth of it. And I'm, like I said, I'm not, not sure why, but this was important to say this tonight. And, you know, we can go on and tell other stories, but I just found those two particular stories to be so compelling today. Well, it is very relevant to figure out. It does kind of answer the question, what does happen if you kill yourself? And it just gives insight that, you know, it might not be pretty. Yeah, it's not. You know? It's not just total silence and darkness. You don't get away from... And that's one of the things that I find interesting about the whole field is people, I say it a hundred times, perception is reality. Mm -hmm. So where you're at when you pass away is your perception of the universe. So maybe they create their own dark mass. Yeah, maybe. You know, because people who are thinking that they died in a battle, they're still in the battle. Because if they, if they went some somewhere else, can we talk about hell? Yeah. Okay. Um, do you want to finish your thought first? I was just going to say, if a person died and they and they were dying in a battlefield, they perceive themselves as still being in that battlefield, even though that battlefield is now a parking lot. They they see it as a battlefield. So maybe these people, because they were wrapped in this, this negativity and this pain and this darkness, have perceived themselves to be in this battle. And therefore they are. Right. It's just weird that it's the exact same thing that everybody saw. It All was, three people exactly. saw. Exactly. Uh, for two different people. Um, yeah, I mean, so I always thought about hell being a place of eternal conscious torment. Mm-hmm. That's what I was raised to believe. Right. You know, you're going to be, if, if you're going to get yours in the end, right. God's going to, God's going to torture you forever, you know? And, and that never made sense to me. I always thought like, well, that's why, why would he want to do that? You know? And hell is very lightly touched on in the Bible, very lightly. Because it wasn't meant for human beings in the first place. 
Right. So, so that's where in the last two years or so I've become, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> why is the, why is the word is annihilationist? <laughs> that's, the, that's what I'm looking for. Um, for some reason, abominable came up like abominable snowman because I saw a trailer for, um, a DreamWorks movie that's about the abominable snowman. Oh, okay. So that must be sticking in my head all day. But yes, now um, I'm annihilationist um, because if you if you read the Bible for just what it says, it makes it sound like humans die, then they're destroyed. They have the second death. That's what it's called, the second death. Uh, and that makes so much more sense to, to me than why would you want to, why would, God want you to be tortured forever. You know, it's like the reward is not getting into heaven or the reward is getting into heaven. The punishment is not getting into heaven and just not existing anymore. Like that's the most humane way that someone could go, well, you're not accepted, but we're just going to put you out. The separation from like we were meant always to be the children of God. We know that. And we find great peace and love when we're in the face of God, when we're with God, in whatever way that works for us. And so the losing that ability to be near God Mm -hmm. would be the exact opposite. So that would be a form of punishment, you know, to not be able to ever touch the the love and the warmth in the face of God again. Right. But why would he want you to exist and suffer? It, it just doesn't sound like the God I know. Yeah. And, and there's you a know? lot of dichotomies in all of that. Like, you know, like the King James Version says that, you know, we should fear God. But if you would actually translate it literally, mm-hmm. it means we should love and respect God. And we see God, this is a God who gave his son. This is a Christ who was willing to die a very painful death. For mankind, if we are believing the Bible. Right. And does this sound like the same person who's going to torture you because, you know, you, you're sad or you're in pain or whatever? Um, and I think there's a difference between that and willful evil mm-hmm. as well. Totally. Um, but it's, so there's all these things that we can't seem to reconcile because we've got too many interpretations. And yeah. I think the Bible speaks to each and every person individually. And the most important thing is for you to read it for yourself. God will take you where he needs you to go. And the Bible won't be the same today. It is the same book. Mm-hmm. But the, me- the message you will take from it will be different depending on who you are and where you are in your life and what you need which I find fascinating because if you read Little House on the Prairie, it's always going to be Little House on the Prairie. I I thought about that the other day. What if the Bible isn't meant for all of us collectively? It's meant for us individually. It is indeed. It is. And and it has a different message for every person. That's why there's so many interpretations. Right. Because, and I'm not saying they're lying. They're all, that's just their interpretation because that's what they're taking from it. And God will speak to each person's heart individually. Right. And so it's really difficult to make those denominational groupings. Yeah. Because maybe that doesn't fit for everybody. Like I didn't fit in their I didn't fit in their world. Right. And I was really I did saddened but by I that. I did fit in the world, but I've since removed myself from the world. That world. And for many reasons. But yeah. um but uh yeah, just and people for just finishing on the hell thing, people take the part about like like deities, like immortal creatures that can't die, mm-hmm. 
burning forever in the lake of fire. Which would be demons. Which would be demons, but they burn forever because they can't die. So they're applying the lake of fire in that passage to humans. And it's like, you just took something from somewhere else and put it in this section. <laughs> and it's like, wait, that's not... I mean, that's just how people, you know, seem to take things. They they take the Bible out of order and stick things together that don't belong. And, and that drives me up the wall. But um, that's just like the whole... That's the basis of fear for a lot of denominations that that are out there uh you gotta avoid hell because you're gonna burn forever and and uh it just i when i actually read it for myself i don't see that i have to say that um respect for god is one thing love for god is seems to be the theme of particularly the whole new testament Mm -hmm. um fear and um, punishments are really lousy um, rationales for behavior modification. We can love a person into changing their lives much better than we can frighten them into it. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if frightening somebody into it would make you better, then I'm telling you every diabetic would leave sugar alone. Yeah. Because the consequences of eating it long term are really deadly. And... So it, it's you just have to go and get a message from God and follow your life's path where it takes you. And the questions that I always ask, you know, or am I, is is the fruit the fruit of what you do? Is it good? Is it is it positive? Is it uplifting? Would you be able to stand before God and say, "I did the best I can, Lord. I made mistakes. I'm human, but Lord, I did try my best." Even if you don't think God exists. Would you be able to live your life that way? You know? Yeah. Because I know God exists. I mean, well, no, yeah. no, I'm, I'm yeah. just saying that there probably yeah. are a lot of ghost hunters that don't, but seriously, don't think do you, that there's do a, you know, a highest power. What is the, the, that is the most important thing to be able to stand before God and say, I did the very best I could, sir. I know I made some mistakes, but I tried to leave a path of goodness behind me mm-hmm. and helping other people. And I don't care what you believe about anything else. If you can do that, then you've succeeded at living. Yeah. And something that really helped pull me out of that too was exactly what you're talking about. I I went, okay, you know, I want to do this podcast or whatever. I want to help people um, with like PA traveler stuff. I want to help people travel, you know, like, like I just want to be of use to others. And once I flipped that switch and said, that's what I'm going to do, I'm going to be of use to others. Then things started popping up, you know, and um, life got a lot better. And I, I did say like be a little selfish, but then, but by taking away some selfishness in a grander scale outside of myself, we'll say there's a, there's a good selfishness within bad selfishness when you apply it to, to things outside of yourself. Right. I guess that's the best way to distinguish. And once I figured that out, you know, I, I went towards love. Right. Just like you said. That's why my mantra is peace, light, and harmony, because those are the three things we should all be striving for. Mm-hmm to be bringing positives to the universe because like with we we talked to um Madeira the other day you know and, and and we did a podcast with her and she talked about once the negativity left her world how it changed her world and um that's the point 
is to to put positives because this world gets weighed down with negativity. Facebook, oh my goodness, is the worst, most negative place I've ever seen. And I've no people that will tell me. Twitter's that, worse, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't Twitter. I don't tweet for anybody, baby. <laughs> But the thing is, you know, people, I've had people, I know people personally who are addicted to this and they will get on there for 20 or 30 minutes and then they will be so angry and so hateful. And then they'll shut it down and they'll say, I'm never getting on there again because that's just really making me mad. And and they're mad about what? It's moot at this point. This is just, you know, and it's well, happening. It's not the even The issue true. is that they're, people are responding in little tiny sentences. Yes. Well, you don't know anything about their experience. You don't know anything. Like they could be trying to convey something that means not what you think it means because you're applying it to yourself, not to them. So so if you read like just whatever whatever political or whatever thing may be, or they're just trying to trigger somebody or whatever, you know, um, allowing that to affect you is is on you. Yes. At, at that moment because um so, so i try to stay away from that stuff because it's just negatives yeah yeah it's it's just i read stuff and now instead of getting angry i kind of laugh more because i'm like ignorance or <laughs> you know i just write it up to not having facts not thinking of someone else's experience like all that stuff but you know when it comes to um to get back to our theme of stories yes you can find many good stories of of positive things that spirits have done throughout lifetimes i remember reading a story um by I believe this was elliot o'donnell and he talked about a, a woman in england he was from england and um, he talked about this particular house that was haunted. And there was an old heavy set lady who haunted the house. And um, she did great things for people. She did nice things. Like they would smell baking and cooking in the kitchen as though she were cooking. Um, they would see her hurrying along as though she was in a hurry to get to the kitchen. But I think the, the cutest story was um, the woman that owned the house was going to bake her daughter's wedding cake. And this was on a holiday. So all the stores were all shut because at the time frame it would have been 1940s. Mm-hmm. The stores all shut down on the on Sundays. And she had to get this cake baked for the wedding for Sunday evening. So she starts out early Sunday morning to bake this cake and she drops the eggs and they're broken. And she doesn't have anywhere to go to get more eggs and she can't make this cake and she's crying. And she sitting at the table crying thinking, "Oh, I've let her down. I'm not going to be able to make the wedding cake." Um and she looks out and she sees this old lady, the ghost of the lady. And this is the first time I've ever seen her outside. And she's down by the pond and she's pointing at something and looking at the house and like motioning to come on down. And um, so the lady gets up and she dries her eyes and the, the, the ghost disappears. She walks down there and she finds a nest of fresh goose eggs, which she uses to make the cake. And she was like, I know she led me here because she knew this was important to me. Mm-hmm. So just because you're dead doesn't mean you lose your humanity but it is who you were in life i will bet this was a nice lady who helped people in life totally and so you see all kinds of those stories um and and i see i know dozens of them i know i told you one about a little the gentleman who died and then saved a little child's life Mm -hmm. a neighbor child's life um and you see all kinds of that those things going on so um the energy you put into this world is the energy you're going to take into the next remember that yeah, totally. Can can I touch on another a drug fueled thing that I've experienced? Please, I would love to hear us. Okay, so I was on when I before I got to to Prozac the first time, I went through a couple things to try to you know calm the anxiety down, 
and one of which was Paxil. Now that drug is bad news. <laughs> okay. At least for you, right? Uh, at least for me. Yeah, it works for some people, but it it did not work for me. And uh, what happened was I would sleep and I would have these um, just the most insanely vivid dreams that I've ever experienced. But every one of them was a horrendous nightmare. Like Jenna would have to wake me up because I'd be like, like what? I'd be like, you know, actually shaking and stuff in, in my, it wasn't a seizure or anything, but I, I was actually trying to escape right. from the dream world. And, uh, and I found out that it, Paxil made me have a REM sleep disorder. So it made me go too deep into sleep. And uh, my brain just always turned to nightmares for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually, I, I discovered that it helped, it does that with melatonin as well. I, I was having, but not this vivid, it's, right. but I was having nightmares constantly. Um, so I saw uh, this one. It was actually two dreams that kind of bled into each other somehow, but uh, it's it took place in Maine mm-hmm. um, where I, I love Maine. Have you ever been to Maine? No, but I've always wanted to go. Okay. I, I can see why Stephen King sets all of his books there pretty much <laughs> because it's just, there's something about the the rock and the jagged coastline and the sea and everything that just like gives you that eerie vibe you know it's just when i was up there i was like i feel like i'm in a movie this is so cool um so that's where my dream took place and i uh had gotten to this lighthouse this particular lighthouse called uh i think it's bass harbor okay in in uh, maine it's kind of by bar harbor uh it's the lighthouse and I somehow I owned the lighthouse. So I had just inherited it or whatever. So I had left the wife and kids uh, behind to go take care of matters um, because I inherited it. And I started experiencing like rocking chairs, like rocking horses, like moving and stuff that was already left in, in the lighthouse itself. And it over a course of like three days, a haunting kept getting worse and worse and worse right okay so uh i just saw more things and a- every night i would see uh like a glimpse of this little girl if you ever seen like a pic um a frame of a film spliced in where it didn't belong mm-hmm. and it just popped up and then it was gone uh that's what it was like i just kept seeing like these glimpses of this little girl in a blue dress and um and then one night i was actually i hadn't like seen her fully she didn't interact with me yet i was taking a pee in the bathroom there it is again all right bathroom (laughs) maybe it's because of all my experiences in the bathrooms and this is what happened (laughs) so um i i was like taking a pee in the dream and uh, luckily i didn't go in the bed well i'm glad for that and that jenna's glad or more glad than i am yeah for sure i mean that's that's happened to me a couple times where i was dreaming that i was peeing and then i woke up in a puddle (laughs) oh my goodness but um i'm sure a lot of guys have felt have had that experience but um so i was going and then suddenly there's like this this shower next to me and it's shut and it's like two glass so you can see right through it it's glass doors and something starts pounding on the glass and screaming like she's in like horrendous pain okay and the spirit is screaming for help 
And I had never interacted with her yet until that point. And it scared the crap out of me in the dream. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, so that's right around where that dream had ended. I think that that night, I think Jenna woke me up um, because that was the part that I was really rattled by. And it turned out that I was at my parents' house who had a similar shower. And because of like the REM sleep issue, I had like a day dream and the girl was in with me pounding on the glass. So you hallucinated her in real life. I hallucinated her, not with my eyeballs, but it's like you said with the mind's eye thing. Mm -hmm. I swore to God she was right there. Mm -hmm. And then I like blinked a couple times and of course she wasn't. Um, But I was like, my dreams are now bleeding into the daytime. So I... After that happened, I contacted my doctor immediately and he's like, oh yeah, you have a REM sleep disorder. You need to get off that immediately. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so so I ended Paxil and ending Paxil was horrible. Like I had no death perception. Mm-hmm. So it was really hard to drive. And um, there were days where I just went, whoa, I feel really strange. I shouldn't drive. And, and I just would have to get someone to run me around and stuff. Um, because I didn't feel it would be safe for everybody on the road. Um, but yeah, I had, I had death perception issues. It felt like lightning, like it's all you can describe, describe it as like lightning hitting like the extremities. And it would just feel like that randomly off and on all day long. Um, it was just like my electrical signals in my brain was going nuts or something. Well, now let me ask you, there is a longstanding tradition in many cultures and particularly Native American cultures and some others where they use drugs as a way to alter consciousness. And they believe that, that you slip into a different dimension, that, that that's actually giving you a spiritual experience. So the question is, do you think that what it was doing was slipping you into a different dimension? No. Okay. Absolutely not. It was it was a dream. It's a dream. And that just happened to and and I was like really tired all the time. So it could have just been a just a random hallucination thought that I thought I saw something that I didn't, but in my mind's eye saw it and heard it. Right. You know? Um so it was almost like a LSD flashback. You know how they right. they'll they'll suddenly have a flashback during the day while they're awake right just walking around and suddenly bam there's something they saw during a hallucination um it must have been something like that but in that regard no i don't think i was but i think dmt does do that because i mean i've never taken dmt but um you know people are starting to study it because it it really does stuff to your brain without like it's a naturally occurring substance so it's not like it's manufactured in a lab like LSD or something that could really um, mess you up. It's a natural DMT is a natural chemical that you create yourself um, whenever you're drifting off to sleep or whatever. So, you know, I, I don't know about the safety of it right. <laughs> to be honest. And nobody seems to know if it's hundred percent safe or anything. Um, but there's a lot of compelling um, interesting things because everybody who has taken DMT basically has said that they've seen the same thing. Now, well, now, that's interesting. How is that possible? Now, they claim it's, whether it's the universe or God or some higher being, they see them, they meet them whenever they tri- whenever they go on their DMT experience. Because um, I don't want to even call it a trip. It's not hallucinations. It's It sounds like they're 
all seeing something that exists. So that's probably what you're referring to, seeing into other dimensions and whatever. But it's weird that every single person sees the same thing. Yeah, I'll have to look into that. I didn't know much about that. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. So they're saying that maybe DMT is the secret way to help you uh, meet, you know, higher beings and <laughs> all that stuff. So uh, people who are atheists, even if they stay atheists afterwards, they still think it's weird. You know, they they still think they they uh, found something. Yes. They just don't know what it is. They can't they can't fathom it. Right. Um, so it's probably one of those they actually do end up believing, but they say they don't or yeah. they won't let themselves like we talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's that that blows my mind, the whole DMT experience. And I think the government's loosening on letting things like magic mushrooms be studied now and some other stuff because there they do seem to have other implications that they could be turned into medicines and, and like 97 percent of all of our medications have an herbal derivative anyway right so why are we limiting because, yeah, certain it's, ones it's always been because if people are walking around tripping ball i'm not suggesting we should have people going around because tripping, at least but... if you if you like smoke weed or something you could function <laughs> but if you if you did a hallucinogen like that wouldn't be safe for right if you're not sitting but on the couch we you know? have separated um we could separate out the good components for those who need it. For sure. For sure. It's like Which that is what we've anything. done with anything else. You know, we've done it with many, many um, naturally occurring herbal substances. Yeah. But so... Um, like my CBD, for example. Yeah, your CBD. Right? Yeah. yeah. It, I mean, it was frowned upon for how long? And now we're realizing people with fibromyalgia, people with depression, anxiety. There's a hundred different things that seem to get better with it. Um, Lyme's disease, it, it helps with the symptoms of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it changes your, um, the, the, sometimes it helps with the brain chemistry enough that you get like a little more positive outlook on life and, you know, things like that. So, um, you know, what, what else can it do? We've just begun to scratch the surface because right. we've finally taken it away from, um, you know, being the demon weed to, well, yeah. maybe there's a medicinal purpose that functions. For oh, this, there is. You know, I can tell you for sure. There yeah. definitely is. I'll probably post so I'm now a sales rep <laughs> for, for a particular brand. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to sh- give the whole spiel here, but uh, Chemistry Bionaturals is what it's called. We'll, uh, I will link it just so everyone knows why I keep bringing it up. But Well, I bring it up because it, it has changed my life in the last couple months, yeah. uh, to be 100% honest. But um, then I, I actually wanted to go, and it's another theme of mine uh, with the helping thing. I wanted to help people, so I wanted to figure out how to get it into as many you know hands as possible who need it so um you know talk to me about about it if you want to know more information or i'll post the company and you can check out their website and all that stuff plug over (laughs) (laughs) but we're probably getting towards the end anyway yes Um, we are i mean we didn't really actually end up telling pretty much any stories i mean just a a few a a couple but um, we may have to rename this one yeah suicide and positivity or just suicide i mean that's pretty much what we touched on and yeah i mean you've had an experience i've had an experience a lot of people do and the thing is like (laughs) the thing that i have realized and this may sound horrible okay um people do care about you who know you people who don't know you probably don't care about you enough 
to be bothered by the fact that you're talking about being depressed or anything. They'll just take it at face value. They're not going to read into it, you know? So, so the, the stigma and pressure of talking about it is kind of on the, the person, I think. And and I don't want to say, oh, nobody, it's like the way I said it, it makes it sound like, okay, well, nobody cares about you anyway. So go ahead and just say whatever, you know, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, I'm, I'm just saying that um, nobody's going to judge you because they don't know your experience. They don't know uh, anything about you. They just know that you have an issue that you need worked out and they want to help you achieve that. Right. They don't, they don't care, you know, what the circumstances are. They want to help you. Right. And yeah. So, um, yeah. and that's, that's the truth. Like I, I work, as you know, I work in an outpatient facility and, um, you know, we don't know the person, but we know there's a problem and we know that there's a, there is an answer, but it's their answer, not our answer. And you're so, not going to judge them. No, we don't judge. And what we try to do is help them to get to the place where they can figure out their answer. You know, one of the things I say when I do my intake for my section is um, we are here to work for you, not you for us. So we're not going to tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. But what we are going to do is help you find the way to do the thing you need to do. Yeah. And... Um, that's important. There's a huge distinction in that because, you know, a lot of people think that you can swallow a pill and it's going to make it all better. It does not make it all better. I hate to break that to you, but there's no magic pill that's just going to take all your depression, anxiety, everything away. It's all going to be good. Life's going to be perfect. Yada, yada, on and on. No, probably you're going to have to work at it. And probably you're going to have to put some time in on this and figure this out. And probably you're going to have to start changing things in your life, which is not easy. So it's a path. Mm-hmm. And just like, you know, I talked about, I was going down a really dark path and I was very alone and I was very whatever. And I'm truly grateful to God that he saw fit to whisper in my mother's ear, go help her. Because um, the path I've gotten to come down is, oh my gosh, it is so amazing. I am the most blessed of human beings. I get to help people day and night, literally. And I get to, I get the joy of that. And I get to watch people blossom like, the lady we just spoke to you know and I get to see this amazing these amazing lives and um I just feel totally blessed yeah so we did end with positivity absolutely so peace light and harmony everybody peace light and harmony everybody well uh we'll catch you later and hopefully have more um uplifting stories or (laughs) scary stories or something but we have something planned for you guys for Halloween that Kenny's going to tell you about separately, but I'm looking forward to it more than you could possibly imagine. Yeah, look for the post on the Facebook page. Please, because we're wanting you guys to participate in it. And I have a question for everybody. If Do you believe that spirits can contact you through dreams and talk to you, loved ones or what have you? If you have any of those kind of stories, why don't you share them with us on the Facebook page? Because I am fascinated with dreams that um, seem to be as though loved ones are coming to talk to you. I know someone who's met her mother twice, and she specifically asked for her to come that particular day. So we're going to have to talk about that in the next story. Yeah, we'll save it. Yeah, (laughs) that'll be cool. All right, we'll, we'll catch you guys later.